0: The word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he lay its eternal truths on our hearts this morning. Let's ask him to do that. Oh God, as the song said, your majesty is tremendous. Would you help us to see the Son of God afresh as John first saw him and as John first understood him. Would you help us to be as struck by the glory and beauty of your son as the disciples were once they understood who this man really was? We ask for your help because our tendency is to drift if we aren't hearing about ourselves and if we aren't thinking about ourselves. But would you give us the supernatural help that comes through your spirit that we can see Christ And catch but a glimpse of his glory here this morning. Would you help us? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Of all the hopes that I I could have for us as a church and for you as a congregation, my most basic hope is that you would know Jesus and that you would love Jesus. But in the life of the church, it's not difficult for words like Jesus or The gospel to sort of become like slogans or badges or markers that we use to help identify us as biblical Christians. And if we aren't careful, those words and those phrases can end up being just slogans that comfort us, that we've got God right, that we've got the message of the Bible right. But, you know, we can get all the slogans down. We can say all the right things and yet drift over time so that the words just become words and the slogans just become slogans. There's, there's even a danger of this when it comes to Jesus, too. We can go so long without spending time with Jesus, uh, either in the reading of the Bible or in the preaching ministry, that we can begin to feel distant. And we can speak of him the way we talk about friends we haven't seen in a long time. You know, maybe we still remember the good old days that when we that we had together. And we'll always love them. But it'd be sure nice if we went to see them every now and then. And we can be like that with Jesus. The last time I preached through one of the Gospels was in the evenings beginning in 2016 when I first arrived here. Uh, and we preached through the whole Gospel of Mark. and. I guess it dawned on me some time ago that as a church, our greatest need, and and, and we have many needs, but our greatest need is to know Jesus and to spend time in his presence. And what the book of John does is the book of John throws us into the presence of Jesus from the very first word, and we never leave it. The Gospel of John has the name of John on it, but it isn't a book about John, the son of Zebedee. It's a book that's all about Jesus. That's why John never actually mentions his own name in the book. He wants to steer away from talking about himself. This is a book that is written by an eyewitness of the life of Jesus and a believer in Jesus. This is, this is not a book that's written by a disinterested outsider who's just reporting the facts. Well, it is somebody who's just reporting the facts, but this is not a book that's written by somebody who is indifferent to the things that he saw. You can almost imagine how strange it would be if you were to read the Gospel of John and it was written by somebody who didn't believe what he was writing. It would be very strange indeed. Now, this is a man who believes in Jesus because of what he saw and because of the life that he saw lived out in front of him day in. And day out. And John is very transparent. He's not pulling the wool over our eyes. He's not pulling a bait and switch. Or anything like that. He is very transparent with us as readers. That without hesitation. He has written this book. Because he wants you to believe it too. So we're going to be in the gospel of John for. By any measure. A long time. We're not going to rush through this book. And so. Uh, If we get to the end of this book eventually, someday, way off in the distance, (laughs) and you don't believe in Jesus, or you don't understand Jesus better, and if you don't trust him as your Savior, then John is very explicit that his purpose for this book has failed. He wants you to believe. And if you already believe, he wants your faith to be stronger. He wants you to trust Jesus more because you read this book than you did before. And the thing that perhaps makes this book stand out above all the other three Gospels is that not only does he say, I wrote this so you would believe, but he actually begins right out of the gate without a moment's hesitation, immediately talking about who Jesus is. And I would say that is why I'm preaching this book as well. I hope that my purpose is the same as John's purpose. I want you to believe in Jesus. Now, that is a phrase you can be so used to and you can hear so often and you can maybe even hear it so often from me that it can begin to lose its impact. But when we talk about believing in Jesus, what we're talking about is where is your hope and your trust and your everything? Where do you place it? Do you place it in yourself? Do you place it in those around you? Do you place it in your family? Do you place it in your community, in your government, even in the members of your church? Where do you place your hope? And the, the, the claim of this book is there is only one place that you should place all of your hope. And that is in Jesus. And so if you already believe, I want you to be stronger in your belief. I want you to be fortified. I want you to be built up. I want you to know who it is that you trust. And if you don't believe, my prayer for you and my prayer as I prepare this entire series is, Lord, bring people to faith in you. It is one thing to attend church. It is another thing to believe in Jesus. Those are two different things. So my prayer is that this would have an impact, the impact that John intended when he wrote this book. And so this morning, John introduces our Savior to us with four simple words. He calls him the word with God. And each of those word with God are our three points. This is the simplest outline that I think I've ever had. And so let's look at each of these points. First, John introduces this person with what sounds like this code phrase. He calls him the word. He says, in the beginning was the word. Now. John walked with this person. He lived with this person. He shared meals with this person. He could tell us endless things about Jesus. He could say endless things about Jesus. In fact, at one point later on in the book of John, he says, Jesus did so many things that you could fill an entire library and still not say everything about Jesus that could be said. Now, actually, if you go to to Reformed Theological Seminary, and if you go to the library at the school... Uh, you will find out that there have almost been endless books written about Jesus because that is what the entire library at RTS is. It is a very large library, and yet John says, I could have written more than that if I'd had the time. He could say anything about Jesus that he wants to to us, but for him, the most important thing that he could lead off with is this word that he uses to describe Jesus. He says he was the word. And, and he calls Jesus the word. And that, 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 that term is very intentional because what it does is it get a, gets across to us this idea that Jesus is not just God, but he is God come in a visible way. Think about the way the words function. Think about what they do. Words are a way for us to take the image that is in our mind and it comes out so that we can share. What, how do people know what you're like? Um, There are some people you know that they don't talk very much. And sometimes after years around them, you say, I wonder what they're really like. Um, The word is how you understand what they're really like. And for John, the word is the perfect idea to get across who Jesus is. He's the word of God. He's the image of God. The book of James tells us how important our words are, the way that we speak, what we say. Because James is persuaded that our words reveal who we are. They reveal our inner person. When we, when we talk, the way we talk to people, the way we treat people, tells says something about who we are. Um, Paul Tripp tells a story about when he was a child, and he talks about the fact that he went to a family gathering. I don't remember if it was a holiday, but he, he went to this family gathering, and as he was... Was there, he had a a family member, I think it was an uncle, who had had too much to drink. And so, as this uncle began to speak, and as he began to talk, his language became more coarse. And he started to speak of women in a demeaning way. And before long, Paul Tripp says his mother grabbed him up. She, She took him to the car. She set him in the back seat. She buckled him in. They started driving. I might have made up the buckling part. I don't know if they had buckles back then. She put him in the car, they started driving, and she started driving, and as she was driving, she, after a while, she was very quiet, and then she said to Paul, she said, there is nothing that comes out of a drunk's mouth that wasn't already there to begin with. And the idea, and the notion that stuck with Paul Tripp, I've heard him illustrate that numerous times, it's one of the most important illustrations and stories that he tells In his different video series and in his books. And it left this huge impact on him that words, the words were already in this man and they came out and it was how you really knew what he was like. Words reveal ourselves to people. Words are revealing. So when we say disgusting things, it's what we really are. When we say beautiful things, it's because that's what we really are. It was already there. It just was waiting to come out. So just like our speech shows others what we're really like, Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the speech of God. And as the word of God, what does he do? He shows us what God is really like. He is like the word that came out of God's mouth, and now we know him. There is no better way to know me than to listen to my words, and there is no better way to know God than to look at and listen to his word. And John says, that is Jesus. He is the word. Do you want to know what God is like? There are a lot of ways you can find out. But there is no better place to go than Jesus himself, because he reveals God to us. But John also tells us that the word was with God. Now, we're getting into the next point by asking this, but we we see from this passage that the word is God. So why would he say that he's also with God? Why would he say that Jesus is with God? And the the answer, of course, is that he has has to be that he is God. Because nothing else in all creation was with God in the beginning, but there are persons within the Godhead. John doesn't use the word Trinity. In fact, the word Trinity doesn't show up in the Bible. Uh, The word Trinity first came from the, the, the pen of a man named Tertullian. I think as far as we know, that's the first time we see the word Trinity used to describe God. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the concept and every aspect of it absolutely is. We know from the testimony of Scripture that there is only one God, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one God. And yet we also know that there are three persons in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when the passage says that the Son was with God, John is saying that there are persons within the Godhead. The same creed puts it the way the creed puts it is that he is of the same substance with the father but he is not the father he is of the same substance with the spirit but he is not the spirit now hidden in all of this and assumed by john in all of this is what we call eternal generation Right, it's a I think it's kind of a cold sounding theological phrase, but it isn't a cold idea. You remember in John 316, it says, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that word begotten is important and it's implied here as well. It implies this teaching we call eternal generation, and it says the Son is begotten by the Father in eternity, and yet there was never a time when the Son became God. He has always been God. Now, if you can wrap your head around that, you're doing great. All right. And I know that sounds difficult, especially if you were paying close attention. Um, And the reason I know that it's difficult the more attention you pay is because the more you think about the Trinity, the more difficult and mind-bending the idea of the Trinity is for us. And the reason is because you and I, none of us, have any experience at all with a being in our everyday lives who is one being and three persons. There is no illustration for the Trinity. If anyone tries to give you an illustration for the Trinity, they are Confusing you. <laughs> uh, there is no human illustration of one being who is also three distinct persons. And so what, what John is doing for us here is he is giving us the pieces of the larger picture. He is laying the groundwork for this larger doctrine that we're going to see in the book of John, but that we haven't seen just yet. One of the best things Netflix ever did was releasing The Joy of Painting with Bob Ross. Uh, I don't know about you, but there is nothing on the planet Earth that is more relaxing than watching and listening to Bob Ross paint and describe all the little strokes that he's doing. Oh, here's a I'm going to paint a little birdie over here. Happy bird. You know, I'm going to put a tree over here. Happy tree. And. Before he does anything, though, the, the first thing he does is he squeezes out those colors onto the easel. And he, he gets ready because he's going to mix all these colors together and you're going to get some crazy images and stuff. But before he can do any of that, he has to lay out his colors. And only then do you really understand what's happening. And, and John is painting us a picture, metaphorically, of the Trinity, And he spends much of this book sort of taking these colors that he's laying here, and he mixes them together. And as the Gospel of John continues on, you start to see that picture coming together. You start to see that relationship of the Father to the Son. Uh, You see the Son praying to the Father in John 17, something that uh, doesn't happen if the Son is the same person as the Father, You see more of this in John chapter 3, and and slowly but surely all of these things begin to come together, and you start to see this Trinitarian image start to emerge in the text. But for the moment, all we have is this phrase that he uses here, the word was, with God. It's almost impossible for us to talk about the Son without talking about the Trinity. That's why, even though he hasn't used the word Trinity here, I'm already talking about the Trinity Gregory of Nazianzen was one of the early church fathers. He had this great phrase that he used when he was talking about the Trinity. He He said, I cannot think of the one God without having the three persons shining around me. I cannot think of the one God without having the three persons shining around me. And here we are, one verse into John's gospel And we are already seeing the three persons shining around us, aren't we? But for the moment, John is giving us the fundamentals of the Trinity here, even if all the details aren't quite filled in yet. But the most important thing for us to remember is that this phrase, He was in the beginning with God, means that the Son is not the Father, and the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit. The Son is not merely the Father acting like a Son. He is distinct from the Father, and yet they still share the same essence. The the Spirit is not merely God the Father acting in a spiritual way, but the Spirit is actually His own person who also shares the same essence and nature with God the Father. You you see, the the Trinity is not one person sort of playing dress-up as the other two persons. The, The Trinity actually is three persons With one divine nature. The word is God. And he is with God. So the word with is loaded with meaning. And it protects us from all sorts of serious errors. That might tempt us to misunderstand who Jesus is. And you see I want you to understand this. John chose every word very carefully. And so did the Holy Spirit. Every word that we have here is chosen with an exact precision To protect us from error. And so the word was with God. But finally John tells us the word was God. He's already told us that the son was with God. He's already told us that the son and the father aren't the same person. But now he's telling us that the son is God. In other words to use the the words of the old creeds. the, The son shares the same essence with the father. They are different persons, but they are not different gods. We only believe in one God. Islamic theology misunderstands Christians on this point. One of the strong emphases that you see in Islamic theology, if you've ever listened to a Muslim apologist, uh, one of the things that they absolutely believe, and they do not let it go, is they believe that Christians believe in three gods. And you can explain to them all day, there is only one God. He is one God in three persons, and they will not hear you. Part of the reason is because their book tells them that we believe in three gods. They do believe that. They believe that we are polytheists, but John never, ever, ever talks like that. Jesus was a Jew. John of Zebedee was a Jew. And they believe the Hebrew Shema. "Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Christianity does not and never has taught that there are three gods, Father, Son, and Spirit. No, they are only one God. They have only ever been one God. The Trinity is not a team of three separate beings working together. No, it is one being. He is one God. The Trinity also isn't just God acting out in different ways, sometimes as a father, sometimes as a son, sometimes as a spirit. Now, in the New Testament, we find the father and son speaking to each other. We see the spirit descending upon the son, empowering him for his ministry. They are clearly distinct persons, not one person just acting out in different ways. And so John tells us he was in the beginning with God. God is one being with one substance and three persons. And because John tells this to us, we see, even before us in these two verses, the building blocks of the Trinity. The Son is God, Jesus is God. Now, why did John begin his gospel like this? I mean, Mark started out just talking about the events, he starts with the ministry of John the Baptist. Uh, Matthew and Luke, they give a, 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 a genealogy. They tell us about how Jesus was born, where he was born, which family he came from. But John, why, why does John start his gospel out like this? Why does he start talking about the essence of God and the persons of the Trinity? Why would he do this? Doesn't he know people are going to get confused by what he says here? And I think the answer is it's because of his overall purpose, because in chapter 21, he says, I write this that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You see, John isn't some detached historian who just rattles off facts and figures uh, about history and theology. No, John is persuading you to become a disciple of Jesus. Just like he is. He's, he is working with every word he writes to get you, the reader, to go more than just go, huh. His, his plan is, I want you to believe and follow this man. And that's my plan. That's my hope, too. If you aren't a disciple, I want you to become one. And if you are a Christian already, I want this sermon series to cause you to dig deep and love Jesus and grow with him. If what I have said this morning feels like it's going over your head, that's okay. The way we learn how to swim is not by staying in the kiddie pool. It is sometimes by being thrown in the deep end. And then we learn, hey, I do know how to doggy paddle. (laughs) I might not be an Olympic swimmer, but I can keep my head above water. I can do this. And I think as Christians, you know, the pressure is constantly on us to lighten up, believe less. The world says love God less, compromise more, act like the world demands. See, the world is always putting this immense pressure on us to keep the church stuff only on Sundays and the stuff that is there. Keep it light, keep it simple, keep it easy And live and believe and tweet and post, just like the world does the other six days of the week. That's the pressure we have on us. And John says, once you know Jesus, once you really know Jesus, that just won't be possible. Because the only way to push back against that pressure that the world pushes on us is to do what John wants for us. Believe the gospel and believe in Jesus. Believe in him more deeply trust him more fully, love him completely, and then live for him fully. And that's why we're reading this book. I am convinced that we cannot spend 21 glorious chapters with the greatest man who ever lived and walk away completely unchanged by the experience. John sets before us in two verses our first glimpse of who Jesus is. This is who we worship. This is our... Savior, very God, a very God come down, died for our sins, and he loves us. To be in the presence of Jesus is life itself. It's life changing. It is soul changing, and it is food for our hearts and souls. If you have been wearied this week, if you are tired from this week, I want you to know this is where the rest is. John wants you to know, this is where the rest is. So let's, let's not be in a hurry as we come to the text. Let's see Jesus, let's savor Jesus, and let's rejoice in him together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you sent your very Son, whom you love, into the world to rescue men and women like us. And we thank you for John, who wrote such a special gospel to tell us what your very son is really like, so that we could believe in him, delight in him, and be rescued by him. Use the word to feed us, but also to give us a message that we can tell our friends and neighbors about as well. Change us from the inside through your word, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.